Um, yeah, as Cliff mentioned, years and years of friendship with Cliff and Jules. And so again, um, it's fun to, to go somewhere that's very far from home, but feels quite a bit like home. So um, if you haven't gotten to spend a week on the uh, Ritchie farm before, I highly recommend it if you ever get the chance. As Cliff mentioned, for many years, I helped build and lead a, oh, yes, nice. That was, that was, I was nervous there for a sec, but these guys do this every week. Um, helped to build and lead a, a nonprofit uh, that led small group retreats, soul care, spiritual formation, that kind of thing, and thought I would do that for the rest of my life. And these days, I find myself working as an EMT for a fire department and helping a friend build a house at 8,500 feet in the mountains of Colorado in the wintertime. So uh, the, the title of the sermon series that we're in is Somewhere New. And uh, I am very much living in the reality physically of somewhere new these days in my life. So it was really fun when Lisa and I connected a couple months back and, and she started to, uh, to share with me what the message series would be when I was going to be here somewhere new. I just thought, huh, Lord, you are, you're funny. <laughs> um, so have some thoughts that I'm excited to share with you this morning. Very personal to me, this idea of being going and being somewhere new with the Lord. So if you weren't here last week, you're not sure what I'm talking about. That's the sermon series that you guys are in, is somewhere new. And as Lisa mentioned last week, uh, sometimes that somewhere new is in the physical realm. Sometimes that's a new job, a new city. And sometimes that is, am I allowed to move? Am I, how, how far can I go this way? Can I keep going? Okay, I'm just going to expect that I can do a little bit of moving. Um, and sometimes that's more of an internal reality of somewhere new, more of an emotional or a spiritual something that God is inviting us to in terms of new. And sometimes, um, sometimes we have a choice in that, in the somewhere new that God is inviting us to, and sometimes it's very much out of our choosing. <laughs> some of you know exactly what that feels like this morning. You're living in something or somewhere new this morning that you did not choose. And either way, uh, God has an invitation for us this morning in the somewhere new that he's taking us to. And here's the big idea for this morning, identity. Identity, God's character, and then as an overflow of that, who I believe that I am, who you believe that you are, is foundational to us following God somewhere new in our lives. So it's what we believe about God, and as an overflow of that, what we believe about ourselves. That's the foundation for following God somewhere new. It was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Stop and think about that for a second this morning. The most important thing about you is what you think of when you think about God. Is he good father? Is he distant taskmaster? Is he slave driver? Is it... When you think about God this morning, what is it that you think of? And I don't know if it was Tozer or someone else commenting on Tozer who said, and the second most important thing is what we think God thinks about us. God's identity and our identity is the foundation for following God somewhere new. And it determines whether we'll experience somewhere new as chaos, tension, stress, or as an opportunity to deepen our life with God. I believe that that march out tomorrow 
as Lisa taught last week, that phrase that Joshua uses with the Israelites as they're on the precipice of entering the promised land. He says, march out tomorrow for the Lord your God will do great things among you. I think God is saying that same thing to each one of us this morning in some way, somewhere in our lives. Again, maybe it's a physical, maybe it's an internal reality. He's saying, march out. I've got new things for you. I've got new things for you. And in that, I think the constant invitation that God has for us is, I want to deepen your life in me. God's saying, I want to deepen your life. I want to deepen your attachment to who I am as Father. Somewhere new comes prepackaged with change, doesn't it? Comes prepackaged with change. Raise your hand if you love change. Are there any change lovers out there? Okay, you, it, you, there might be some of you out there, and, and God bless you. Uh, for most of us, that comes with stress. That comes with chaos. Um, although some new things are fun. New car, fun. New iPhone, for some of us, fun. Uh, if you're Cove Ritchie, a new mountain bike, very fun. Um, but how about a new boss? How about a new routine? How about a new stage of life? Or a new diagnosis? Some news are very fun, and some news bring with them the kind of change that we would never choose. But here it is, right in front of us. Some news are challenging, and some are simply entirely unwelcome. But generally speaking, as humans, we're not big fans of change, are we? Because it's often synonymous with stress. Pardon my sniffling. That's, a, that's new in the last uh, couple, couple days, so... <laughs> Our brains are constantly scanning our surroundings for threats. That's just kind of how we're wired as humans. And so when we're in known situations, known context, with known people, in known situations, our brains get the chance to relax a little bit because we've already scanned this environment for threats and we don't need to do so any longer. So we're able to relax a bit. Add to that the, level, the, the fact that many of us live with a chronic and heightened level of stress already so that when God shows up and says, I'm taking you somewhere new, it's like, no, thank you. I would prefer not to. And the flip side, again, is that somewhere new is a massive opportunity to deepen our life in God. And I think that's his intention for you and for me this morning. So that promotion, the career change, leaving home from high school, Going from having two kids to three kids, now you're playing zone defense instead of man. Moving into an empty nest phase of your life. All of these life changes, all of these somewhere news are an opportunity to deepen our life in God. But for most of us, it just feels like stress and chaos. And I think whether or not we perceive somewhere new as that stress, chaos, or another opportunity to deepen our life in God, as I keep saying, boils down to what do you and I believe about who he is and what do we believe about who we are? Again, if you told me four years ago uh, that I would have walked through a divorce, moved across the state of Colorado to a town that I'd never lived in before, rebuilt a life there, bought a, a, a new home that was a very old home, stripped that home down to the studs, rebuilt that home, started over in a career field at 40 years old, watched the ministry that I had loved and poured my life into for over a decade come crumbling down, 
and the community that went with it. Met someone new, someone incredible, and she unfortunately lived three and a half hours from where I had rebuilt my life. So, so now I've, um, I've moved again to pursue her, totally worth it, would do it again, and it's somewhere new. Then my dog dies, and now I'm starting to sound like a country song. But seriously, my dog dies, and then we got engaged like a week later. So I, again, I'm, I'm standing in front of you um, right in the midst of that. Is this somewhere new going to be tension, stress, chaos, or is this somewhere new going to be something that I will allow to deepen my life in God? I think we can all relate at some level. Going somewhere new is a crossroads, and even when it's good, it can be very challenging. So uh, I just... I, want to pause just for a moment and say, if it feels both good and really challenging to you, you're not alone. And it's okay for it to feel like both of those things. Somewhere new often is very deeply good and challenging. So I want to look together this morning at Acts 16. And in Acts 16, we'll get the story of Paul and Silas on Paul's second missionary journey. I don't know why we didn't call it Silas's missionary journey. Paul gets all the credit here. Paul's second missionary journey. And they experience lots of somewhere new. And as we read through this passage together, I just want to highlight a couple things that have stood out and really landed in my heart over the last couple months as I've prayed and thought about this morning. Does that sound okay? Well, I've got the microphone, so that's what we're going to do anyway. (laughs) So again, the second missionary journey of Paul is a follow-up to his first missionary journey. Makes a lot of sense. Happened about a year or two after he'd finished up his first missionary journey. And it's an opportunity for him to meet with believers that he'd Uh, met for the first time on that first journey, and to follow up and share with them the the decisions of the Jerusalem Council, which we get in Acts 15. So he's going to go to these new converts, these new believers in the way of Jesus, and he's going to share with them what the elders and the apostles at the Church of Jerusalem have said are the rules for them as new believers in Christ. And before they even get out the door, there's a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And... um, John Mark had been on the first missionary journey with Paul. He had quit along the way. And now he wanted to go with him on the second journey. And Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, not happening. Not taking you with me the second time. And the disagreement is strong enough that Paul and Barnabas decide to part ways here. Barnabas takes John Mark with him. And Paul takes Silas with him. And so we are going to, we'll pick it up in um, verse 4 of Acts 16. And I believe, oh, is this going to work? Yeah, there we go. So here's, um, here's Paul's second missionary journey from Jerusalem up to Antioch on to Tarsus, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch, and Troas. And just for reference, from Antioch in that top right corner to the part of the story where he's going to be in Troas is 785 miles. Okay, I don't know what 785 miles from Muncie, Indiana, but it's a long ways, Okay. So just, just for context, they are walking a long way in the verses that we're about to read through, all right? As they traveled from town to town, this is verse 4. Yeah, there we go. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to meet the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. How am I doing on the, the place names, by the way? I think, think we're okay? It's my best shot. So. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. 
So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Again, now we're 785 miles from where we've started out. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. Yeah. After, uh, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to go to them. Uh, The crowd joined, oh, excuse me. We're going to skip a couple of verses here just for time's sake. But in between, once they arrive, in between, when they arrive in Philippi, a woman named Lydia, community leader in the area, is converted to the faith. It's awesome. And then they cast a demon out of a woman on their way to church. Again, awesome things are happening in Philippi. This is their sweet party. And then um, we'll pick it up in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Things are not going as well as they did when they first arrived. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And um, I I was raised Presbyterian, so after the reading of the word, thanks be to God. (laughs) So a a chunk of, of Acts 16 there. And I wanted to read that, that much of the passage just to give us a sense of this journey of going somewhere new and the ups and downs of a journey of going somewhere new. But a couple things I want to highlight. Mm-hmm. Just figuring out how this thing actually works. But I think we got it now. Somewhere new, the somewhere new in your life that God is taking you, the work that he is inviting you to this morning, somewhere new is inevitable and it's messy. Life doesn't stay the same as much as someone who's wired like I am wants it to just stay the same. Someone who wants to maximize the status quo. That's how I'm wired. Anybody else in the room, can you relate to that? It's, but life doesn't stay the same, does it? My right knee wishes that it was the same as it was when I was 25. <laughs> the, the torn meniscus in my right knee is like, man, I wish things didn't change. Life changes. It's inevitable and it's messy, but God is the same and doesn't shy away from the mess. So uh, hear that this morning. You don't have to get this perfect going somewhere new. Paul and Silas, it does not go perfectly for Paul and Silas when God himself is taking them somewhere new. It's messy and God doesn't shy away from the mess. They don't even get out the door, as I mentioned. They don't get out the door before there's a disagreement among believers that causes them to split up and go different directions. Did you catch that? And if you had a fight getting out the door before you even left for church this morning, you're in good company. Hopefully y'all didn't part ways and decide to take different vehicles, but if you did, just glad you both ended up in the same spot. 
There's a key here. I, I don't believe it's in God's character uh, to just simply keep us guessing. Life, I don't think God, life is just changing because God wants to keep us guessing. I believe that his point, his purpose, and all of the change in our lives uh, has, comes back to the theory of attachment, actually. And I think the theory of attachment helps us grasp what his intention is with us at all times, including when there's new and there's change. Attachment theory is the enduring bond that's formed when an infant has its needs met by its primary caregiver. Remember this at all from school? Like, I don't even know what class this was, human development or psychology or something. Um, it's this primary relationship where we learn what it looks like to have needs and then have our needs met. So when I cry, does someone comfort me? When I'm hungry, am I fed? When I've made a mess of myself, does someone come and clean me up? And if the answer is consistently and kindly, yes, someone is there for me when I have needs. What we get is this secure attachment to our primary caregiver, which then ex like really does shape the trajectory of our relationships for the rest of our lives. Growing research says, says that the foundation laid by that primary attachment that a child has with a caregiver is one of the largest determinants of their personal health and satisfaction for the rest of their life and their relationships. It's really wild. Studies show that kids with secure attachment are much more likely to explore their surroundings, much more likely to be confident when encountering new and unfamiliar situations, and they're much more likely to see the world and the people around them as good even if inherently flawed. They go out from their caregivers and they return home for reassurance. Picture a kid going out to play for a half hour, hour, two hours, coming back to mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and sharing stories, or going off to a day of school, happy, confident, secure, knowing that they'll return home to that haven of safety at the end of the day. It's that term haven of safety that you'll see pop up if you read some of the research on attachment theory. Not that a child is attached to their caregiver at the hip, but that they have this ability, this secure, confident knowledge of who they are and the fact that they're loved and they're able to go out and come back and go out and come back and go out and come back. It's that sense of the one that we return to the safe place that we return to. And this need doesn't go away, does it? It looks different as adults. But isn't that what we're all longing for in our friends and our family members and spouses, that, that home, that spouse, friend, family, would be a safe place to return to? And I believe our relationship with God is meant to be the source of that kind of life and confidence for us. Through an ever-deepening attachment to him as the one who cares for us who provides for our needs, and yes, who cleans us up when we've made a mess of things. And though the circumstances of my life change, God doesn't. In the changing and the new, I believe God wants us to know him as the one who is always the same and is always that place of safety and refuge for us to return home to. It was C.S. Lewis that said, relying on God has to begin all over again each morning. Relying on God must begin again all over each morning. Just like a child learning that they can go out into the world and explore, knowing that they're loved securely, unconditionally, and come home to that place of refuge. 
And again, this is messy. Did you catch this as we read? They try to go to Asia, and God stops them. They try to go to a place called Bithynia, and again, God stops them. They are uh, called by God, sent on this journey. Yes, Paul believes he's been sent on this. They're trying to go to these places one after another, and God keeps stopping them. That is a very bizarre thing, isn't it? If you're anything like me, if God has sent me on a mission, if he's calling me somewhere new, doors are going to be open, not closed. Yes? Closed doors, in my mind, typically mean I'm on the wrong path. For Paul and for Silas, it means keep going just a different direction. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, they're 785 miles walking into this journey, and doors keep being closed in front of them. If it's me, I'm turning around, and I'm walking home at this point. But in following God somewhere new, we have to remember that we don't see the whole picture, but he does. We don't see the whole picture, but he does. And this is really difficult to hold on to when life is sideways that there might be something bigger going on here than I can see right now. I don't know if maybe you're in that spot this morning where you're like, this is not making sense. I feel like God has called me somewhere. I feel like I'm following him. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I just keep getting closed doors in front of me. But just as an example of the fact that we don't see the whole picture, but he does, did you catch this? Initially, the author of Acts keeps saying they, they, they. They. They traveled from town to town. They delivered the decisions. They came to the border of Mysia. They tried to enter. They passed by. And then in verse 10, there's this switch. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia. So it's they, 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 they. All of a sudden, we, we, we. Meaning what? Whoever was writing had joined this group of people, yes? Went from they to we. So the accepted author of the book of Acts is Luke. Same writer as the Gospel of Luke. If they had gone to Asia as they had initially thought, does Luke join the journey? If they had gone to Bithynia as they wanted to go to, does Luke join the journey? There's no way to answer that question, but as I, as I thought about that, I just thought, man, maybe we don't get the book of Acts. Maybe we don't get the Gospel of Luke. In other words, there is a lot more going on here than the simple closed door of not going to the place that I initially thought that I I should go. So again, I don't know what the closed doors are for you today, but I just, um, let me be a kind voice reminding us all, myself included, that a lot of times closed doors are not God saying no. And it's not the fact that you've gotten it wrong or that you've taken a wrong turn somewhere Lots of times, closed doors are simply God's way of leading us on the path that he has for us, even though it doesn't always feel great. So, um, somewhere new is inevitable, and it's messy. Second thing is this. Somewhere new is uncertain, but God is trustworthy, and he's leading us. Somewhere new is uncertain, but God is trustworthy, and he's leading us. Does the path ahead feel? for you this morning feel uncertain? 
If it does, you're, again, in good company. You're not broken. You're not particularly broken. You're just broken like the rest of us. <laughs> in following God somewhere new, even when it's the promised land, back to Joshua last week, even when it's the promised land, we're trading the known for the unknown. To go somewhere new with God, we must leave behind where we've been. You ever heard the saying, better the devil you know? Better to deal with the circumstance or the person that you know than the circumstances and the people that you don't know. Even if you can't stand those people. Even if you can't stand the people you know. Even if the circumstances you're in are brutal. Even the grief, the loss that we're in. It's amazing how as humans we can get comfortable and learn to manage life as it is. And so even when God is calling us to a promised land, out of Egypt, into the promised land, it's trading the known for the unknown, and it's hard. It's uncertain. The invitation to new territory to somewhere new with God comes with fresh uncertainty. And here's, uh, this is one of the things that I feel like the Lord, um, maybe it's just for me, <laughs> but I kept coming back to the reality that where we turn in uncertain times reveals who we trust. So when you and I are uncertain, what we turn to, who we turn to when we're uncertain is a really good indicator of where our trust actually lies. Not what we would say to the good people that we see on Sunday morning or what we would say if we were interviewed on TV or something, but what we actually believe. So who and where we turn in uncertain times reveals what we trust. And again, back to attachment theory, we are going to follow, we are going to trust the one that we're attached to. Like a baby duck following a mama duck around a pond. As I was doing some, uh, some research just in getting ready for this, I came across a study where a, a biologist hatched 12 geese uh, with their like mother in like a box over here. It wasn't a box, it was like a, you know, a, a pen or something. And then he hatched 12 more geese in this area over here, and he was the one that the geese first saw when they hatched. He was the one that fed them, and eventually, when they get into a pond together and all start swimming around this pond, it's, it's hilarious, you can go look this up on YouTube, the 12 geese that hatched with the goose mama follow the goose around the pond. And the 12 geese that were hatched with this guy, biologist, as their mama, they follow him as they're swimming around the pond. We're only going to follow the one that we're attached to. So when life is uncertain, we're going to follow the one who has fed us, who has comforted us, who has met our needs. And uncertain times reveal who and where has our trust. So here's the other part of that, is that someone is leading us. And that implies that I'm not leading myself. I'm not the one that has the whole picture here. Somebody else does, and I have to trust that I'm being led. That's pretty scary. It's pretty scary to accept that actually someone else is leading me. But isn't this the essence of faith? That somebody else knows better than I do. And I can trust him I can trust that it's not all up to me. Do you need to hear that this morning? This is not all up to you. You figuring out this somewhere new that he's got for you is not all up to you. You have a part to play. You have a role to play. Paul and Silas didn't stay home, but it's not all up to you. 
Again, back to Israel now, the way for them took 40 years. <laughs> 40 years to get somewhere new. When really just walking there should have taken them like three weeks, a month. From Egypt to the promised land, should have taken three weeks or a month. Took them 40 years. I'm not saying it's going to take you 40 years longer than it should to get where God is taking you. But I am saying when there are closed doors, when it takes longer than you thought, when it doesn't look the way that you thought it should, when it's uncertain, it's not necessarily that you're doing it wrong. But each of those closed doors, all of that uncertainty, it's an opportunity to trust that there's someone who has a bigger picture in mind, that God sees the whole picture and he's leading you. He's leading me. So the last thing is this, somewhere new is uncomfortable, but he's our peace and he's good. It's uncomfortable again because it's out of my control. It's out of your control. And out of control is not something that you and I tolerate very well, is it? I want to go to Asia. Nope. Want to go to Bithynia? Nope. Let's go to Philippi. Okay, yes. God says yes to them going to Philippi. So what awaits them in Philippi must be glorious. Right? If that's where God's taking them, this this is going to be good, right? said, no here, no here. Okay, yes to Philippi, this is going to be good. And initially it is. Lydia, this woman, gets converted to the faith and baptized. Fantastic. And they cast a demon out of a woman on their way to church. I'm not sure if that was your experience today. It wasn't mine. But it's pretty awesome. Things are going well. And then, <laughs> did you catch this? Then they get arrested, chained to the wall, stripped naked, and beaten within an inch of their lives. And this is where God sent them. That messes with my idea of what it looks like to follow God. Again, if I'm following him, it shouldn't end up with me being chained to the wall, stripped naked and beaten, should it? Unfortunately, and I don't think I'm telling you anything new by saying this to you this morning, even when we're being led by a father who loves us deeply, this life has heartbreaking realities to it. We do get a new diagnosis. We do lose the job. We do move somewhere new, and even though it's exactly where we're supposed to be, it's really hard, and we start over. Even when we're being led by a good father who loves us and sees the whole picture. And I think this is why Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, I've told you these things. What things? Remember John 15, the vine and the branches. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. And all of these deep and beautiful truths that he's sharing with his closest friends before he goes to the cross. I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. Why? In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And I don't know if you're like me, but even still at 41 years old, I... I have a very difficult time accepting that in this world I will have trouble. I have a tendency to believe that if I just get it right, do the right thing, pray enough, check all the boxes, whatever is your equation for doing it right, I've got mine. (laughs) I think what that should equal is up and to the right all the time in my bank account, my happiness, my mental health, like all that it should always be better and glory to glory with ever increasing glory, right? except for the dude that we're following, God himself hung on a cross. And that our lives are meant to be patterned after that man. 
And then somewhere in this, the fellowship of his sufferings, we're learning something about his character, his heart. And then, and then it's just the way that life is on this side of the cross. Even when we're being led by a good father who loves us, sometimes you end up crucified. <laughs> or do we expect that our lives would be any different than his? I'm not saying you're going to actually be, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you're going to actually be crucified. Probably not in Muncie. Um, in 2024, but you've got your own version of this, chained to the wall, stripped naked, beaten. The greatest determinant of whether our lives will be marked by joy, peace, and security, even in a world of trouble, is our deep-seated conviction that he's good. And so maybe I flew to Colorado just to remind you this morning, even if you feel like you're chained to the wall, after having followed God where you believed that he was inviting you somewhere new, even if you feel like you just got arrested and chained to the wall, he's good. He's good and you can trust him. So how is it that we could ever be honest about the sorrow of our lives if he's just good and I have to like get with the program? How is it that we can be honest about the sorrow, the hard things in our lives and not allow it to tell us a lie about the goodness of God? Uh, thankfully, I think God knew that you and I would have a hard time with this. There's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to this practice of lamentation. More than, more than half of the Psalms in our, our book of Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms of crying out to God, sharing really raw, unfiltered emotion with the God of the universe, pouring out our hearts, shaking our fist at God pretty often. But the interesting thing is that the conversation continues. With lament, with these psalms of grief, it's still face-to-face -face with God. The psalmists are inviting us to an interaction with God that is unfiltered, that's honest, and is face-to-face -face with God. And that's the key. It's, it's that we don't walk away from him and have a conversation outside of his presence about all of our emotions and questions and frustrations and disappointments. He can handle it. He can handle going, I don't know why I'm chained to the wall and arrested after I followed you somewhere new. I'm disappointed about this, that, and the other. My heart is broken. I don't know why. I don't know why. The amount of whys and how longs in the book of Psalms should be a clue to us that God is okay with our questions, our frustration, and our disappointment. He wants us to share that with him face to face not walk away and have a conversation with ourselves about how frustrated we are with God. So that's the invitation in terms of how we honestly bring our hearts to God in the midst of sorrow and still trust that he's good. And again, the reality in this life is that joy and sorrow are going to be mixed together. And we can trust that he's good in the midst of all of it. Somewhere new is uncomfortable, but he is our peace and he is good. So two questions for you. Now, if you've got a piece of paper or something to write on and a, and a pen, I'm going to leave some space here for, um, and just invite the Lord to speak to each of us individually. I've, I've said a bunch of words this morning, um, hopefully words that he's put on my heart to share with you, but I would love for us to just give him a chance to speak to your heart where you are this morning. His work with each one of us is as individual as there are the amount of people in this room. And so we're gonna, um, 
I'm going to ask a question, and then we're just going to ask the Lord to speak to us. And if he says anything to you, I, just, I would encourage you to write it down. So here's the first one. Is there one of these three, three realities that you're having a hard time trusting about God's character as he invites you somewhere new this morning? That he's unchanging and doesn't shy away from the mess? Do you feel like there's no way that this could be him? Like it's so messy. There's so many questions. All these closed doors. This can't be God. This can't be his heart. Maybe he's given up on me. Maybe he's changed in some way. Maybe he's no longer good in my life. Or is it that he's trustworthy and he's leading you? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like it is all up to you? And is the reminder that you need this morning that he's trustworthy? And that even when there's closed doors, he's leading you. Or is it that he could actually be your peace even when you're chained to the wall? and be good even when things are heartbreaking and hard. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Just trust that you're working in each one of our lives and you've got, um, you've got something that you wanna share with each of our hearts this morning. So would you remind us of who you are? And then second one is this, and um, as we do this, um, one more moment of listening, Cliff and Bella, y'all can come back up. After this um, moment of listening here, we'll, we'll sing one more song together just as a way to respond, but um, as I was praying about where, where to end this morning in light of going somewhere new with him, I just kept thinking so often we have such a tight grip on where we've been. Well, again, whether that's emotionally, again, even sometimes some of the grief, the loss that we feel, it's very difficult to let go of. And so often God wants to give us something new, but we've got clenched fists around the old, around what was. And he's saying, I've got somewhere new for you. And I just felt like the invitation this morning was to let go. So is there something that you need to let go of to make room? Is there something this morning that he's inviting you to let go of to make room for what he has for you next? Again, maybe that's a habit or a rhythm from 2023 that doesn't serve you any longer in 2024. Maybe that's some fear that you live with or a regret that you live with, that it's time to ask him to help you open your hands and let go of. Maybe it's something to grieve or lament. Again, instead of like a clenched fist of like, why or how long? Maybe it just, it, it, this morning he empowers you and I to say, why? 
and how long. Slightly different change, but a huge, huge difference in posture. An open hand to receive what he's got for us next. So um, I'm going to, again, leave just a little bit of space here. And, and Holy Spirit, is there something that I need to let go of to make room for what you have for me this morning? Is there something you would have me let go of in order to make room for the somewhere new?